Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be learning a little bit more about a book entitled Called to Serve, an Episcopal biography of Archbishop Buti Tlachali. But first, as usual, I'd like us to start by taking a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Tuesday evening, Vatican's representative to the UN calls for far-sighted agreement on migration. Millions of children severely malnourished and displaced in DRC and South Sudan. And social networks anticipate Pope Francis' trip to Fatima. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. On Monday, Pope Francis received seminarians from the Pontifical Portuguese College of Rome. Philippa Hitchin from Vatican Radio has more. Recalling the apparitions of Our Lady to the three shepherd children of Fatima exactly a century ago, the Pope said that encounter was a moment of grace, which enabled Francisco, Giacinta and Lucia to know and love Jesus. Like a wise and tender teacher, he said, Mary helped them to understand the love of the Trinitarian God as the most important part of their human existence. In the same way, the Pope said, all those studying and working at the college today must have as their principal goal to know and love Christ, learning how to give themselves totally to Him. Whatever academic specializations they may choose, he continued, the first concern of all priests must be to grow in the experience of the love of God, who is always close to us, just as he was close to the three shepherd children at Fatima. Look to Mary, Pope Francis urged the seminarians, and learn how to become more humble, but at the same time more courageous in following the word of God. Our relationship with Mary, he said, also helps us to have a good relationship with the church, learning how to love each person and become bearers of life, hope and peace to the world. The Pope concluded with a wish that the college will continue to be a seedbed of apostles, fostering unity between Rome and the local churches as a living witness of God's love for all of humanity. Starting on the 10th to the 16th May, Lutherans from around the world will gather in Namibia for the 12th Assembly of the Lutheran World Federation, LWF. The conference, entitled Liberated by God's Grace, is a historic occasion as the 500th anniversary of the Reformation falls in 2017 and will be commemorated during the Assembly. Almost 800 participants will attend. 
In more African news, the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, OCHA, says that nearly 1.9 million children under five in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC, are severely malnourished amid a spike in ethnically motivated violence. OCHA's representative in the DRC, Ryan Paulson, explains. The violence that we'd seen in the recent past in the DRC was primarily focused in the east of the country. So what we have now is not just an increase in the numbers of IDPs, we have a geographical spreading of the conflicts that are taking place. So it's really since August last year that the fighting in the Kasai has became a challenge, it became an issue. In the latest situation report that OCHA published this last weekend, we now indicate that we estimate that in those five provinces of the Grand Kasai, there are now 1.27 million IDPs. So from within that overall number of IDPs, you see a massive number there. In the couple of days that I was in Kananga, receiving reports uh, each day uh, from even the peripheries of town about violence or confrontations between state forces and militia forces, but it just spoke to an incredibly volatile situation. So there's a level of fear, a level of anxiety, which I think is unfortunately fully justified by just how volatile the situation is at the moment. We see a situation where uh, massive numbers of people have had to flee at short notice to save their lives in the face of violence. So when a child is identified as being severely acutely malnourished under fives, it means that there is an imminent risk of death unless there are urgent humanitarian interventions put in place, uh, or at the very least that there are substantial negative long-term health effects. These children require urgent humanitarian assistance. More than one million children have fled from South Sudan with over a million more believed to be displaced in the country. Fighting in the world's newest country first broke out in 2013 and the United Nations warned that the future of a generation is now on the brink. William Denslow reports from the UN in New York. Nearly two million people have fled South Sudan and 62% of them are children, according to the latest United Nations figures. The UN's refugee agency Africa Bureau Director Valentin Tapsoba says no refugee crisis in the world troubles them more than the one in South Sudan. Over 1,000 children have been killed or injured since fighting erupted in 2013. And the UN warned that minors in the country are increasingly vulnerable to sexual abuse and exploitation. The UN is also concerned that they've only received about half the funds requested to provide aid for refugees in the region. Fatou Bensouda, the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, ICC, says the ongoing political insecurity and the lack of a secure environment in Libya have led to a widespread and serious breakdown in law and order. Libya has suffered political crisis and a serious breakdown in national institutions since the ouster of Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. Jocelyn Sambira reports from the UN in New York. The prosecutor of the ICC, the International Criminal Court, Fatou Ben Souda, began her address to the Security Council by deploring the overall deterioration of the security situation in Libya since her last report in November this year. In 2011, the Security Council adopted Resolution 1970, referring the situation in the North African country to the ICC to investigate alleged crimes against civilians that may amount to war crimes. The resolution also imposed travel bans and asset freezes on Libyan authorities. Ms. Ben Souda warned the council in her briefing on Monday of reports indicating that Libya is at risk of returning to widespread conflict. Such an outcome would not bode well for the rule of law in Libya and will surely aggravate a climate of impunity, which could in turn 
lead to human rights abuses and violations of international humanitarian law. As is often the case, ordinary citizens, innocent men, women and children who bear the brunt of the suffering caused by this state of insecurity. It is in this context that the International Criminal Court now, more than ever, has an important role to play in Libya. I am convinced that timely and concrete action can make a tangible difference to Libyan lives. In April this year, the court unsealed an arrest warrant for Libya's former security chief, Al-Tuhami Mohamed Khaled, who is suspected of being responsible for crimes against humanity, including torture and other inhumane acts. Ms. Bensouda also reiterated the court's request to the UN-backed government of National Corps to transfer Mr. Saif al-Islam Gaddafi, son of former leader Muammar Gaddafi, into its custody and surrender him to the court in accordance with its international obligations. And moving on to international news, speaking to member states in Geneva, Louisa Abbe, lead UN advocate on international migration, said the lack of protection for migrants around the world and the failure to challenge popular misconceptions about them need to be addressed for everyone's benefit. The Intergovernmental Conference follows the New York Declaration for Refugees and Migrants, whose aim is to see the adoption of a global deal for safe, orderly and regular migration in 2018. Reporting from UA News, here is Daniel Johnson. Despite the already existing wide and robust body of international law and the clear political commitments to address migration, there is no doubt an implementation gap in the protection of the human rights of migrants. The absence of tangible rights for migrants is no abstract notion, Louise Arbour said. It means that they have no access to health care, housing, education and justice. On the issue of illegal migrants, the UN Special Representative said that they're even more vulnerable to prejudice. And she called for member states to re-examine their migration policies closely, since some had the consequence of encouraging the irregular movement of people. In 2015, the number of migrants worldwide, that's people outside their country of birth, was the highest ever recorded, at 244 million. But as a share of the world's population, migration has remained fairly constant in recent decades at around 3%, according to UN data. At the same meeting, the Vatican envoy called for fraternity and solidarity to take precedence over political divisions and geographical borders. Focusing especially on the need to protect child migrants, the Vatican's representative to the United Nations in Geneva, Archbishop Ivan Zhurkovic, appealed for a far-sighted and people-centered global compact which hinges on migrants as the active protagonists. And finally, a look at Pope Francis' schedule for this week. This week, Pope Francis will be preparing for his next upcoming apostolic trip, Fatima. He will be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. Leading up to the trip, he will hold his weekly general audience on Wednesday morning. He's been doing a series on hope for several weeks now and will likely continue this theme with the pilgrims present this week. On Friday afternoon, the Pope will depart from Fiumicino Airport and will go to Portugal. He will then participate in a welcome ceremony and a meeting with the President of the Republic before he visits the Fatima Stadium and prays the Rosary. Saturday, he will visit the Basilica of Our Lady of the Rosary and greet the bishops from Portugal before returning back home to Rome. Back at the Vatican on Sunday afternoon, he will lead the Regina Celi with all the pilgrims who are gathered in St. Peter's Square. 
In defense of Pope Francis' apostolic trip to Portugal to celebrate the centenary of the apparitions of the Our Lady of Fatima can be followed closely from any computer or smartphone. The official website Shrine of Fatima and Fatima 17 will stream the entire trip through their Twitter and Facebook accounts, Shrine of Fatima and First Christians in both Spanish and English. The hashtag Fatima100 allows one to follow the comments and special moments of the trip on Twitter. Some of the accounts that are worth following, Real Christian 14, Total Catholic, and Church Pop. The account with the most symbolic images of the trip will be the Roman Observatory, Os Romano. For those who want more information about the history and life of the three children, the web Pastorinos and Armada Blanca offer all the information and data of the apparitions in seven languages, Spanish, English, Portuguese, French, German, Italian, and Polish. The Vatican website also lists the explanation of the secrets of Fatima written in 2000 by Cardinal Ratzinger. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Well, thank you so much for being here with me once again. It is Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV Audio Bouquet. Of course, you can also listen to us online. Simply log on to our website, radioveritas.co.ca. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next, we get to learn a little bit more about a book entitled Called to Serve, an Episcopal Biography of Archbishop Buti Tlachali. After weeks of persistent requests for an interview, multi-award winner, scriptwriter, novelist and lecturer, to name but a few of his accolades, Professor Ntlantla Make finally agreed to talk to me about a book in the making, entitled Called to Serve, an Episcopal Biography of Archbishop Buti Tlachali. The book is an Episcopal Biography of the Bishop of the Archdiocese of Johannesburg, During the struggle against apartheid, he was one of the most outspoken clergy against the regime, especially in the 1970s when he was a young priest based in Orlando, individually and as a member of the South African Council of Churches and the Catholic Church. Now, over the past few years, Professor Make took a shift from writing about African literature and other academic works to religious writing. I began by asking Professor Make, how did this shift take place? Let's talk about the shift first. As you have observed and noted, I started writing fiction, plays, novels, and so forth, and poetry also. And I did that for quite a long time. I've written more than 20 books, close to 40 to 30 now. But then there was a shift, I think it came about around about 2012, when the parish that I lived in in Togoza, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, was to celebrate their golden jubilee. I was approached by Father Matsaum, who was there, who proposed that uh, uh, history of that parish should be written. And then by that time, it was like casual talk, and then I migrated to Limpopo, and then I came back. And then we revived the conversation, and by that time it was very close to the Jubilee, 2012. I think uh, I had about maybe less than five weeks to start writing seriously. And with my spouse, we did an uh, in-depth interview with elderly members of the parish, and then looked at records that ever was available at the time, 
very scanty. We approached uh, then the uh, Vicar General, Father Duncan, to find out if there were any files in the chancery. But the material that was available was thin on the ground. Then we wrote that um, that uh, uh, jubilee book, small book, but at the time was very intense. The deadlines were brutal, but we managed to produce in time. And then I realized that writing this kind of book called for a shift in my uh, intellectual and spiritual leanings. It needed a new kind of voice, a new tone of voice, a new mood, and so on. And then later on, I think it was about two years ago, I was challenged even again at very short notice to write a history of the companions of St. Angela who were celebrating their Silver Jubilee. Once again, with my spouse, we got onto the road, got documents, and produced whatever we could produce. And then that, I think, inspired me. I realized that there was a lot within the church, even within the smaller circles in which I moved. That there was need to write about the history of either parishes or individuals and all that. And then I met with then Father Duncan Talker, now Auxiliary Bishop. And then he proposed that uh, we should write a biography of Archbishop Butiklacha. Now, when I accepted this challenge, I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done to myself? Will I really manage? Will I ever be able to do justice to this man? And as you said, there's nothing that's been written about him, but I think he's made a mark, you know, within the church and outside the church from his early commitments to the liberation struggles in the church and so on. Uh, and then I started doing some preliminary work, looking at newspapers and so on in the archives, in the library here, trying to find out whatever I could get. But, you know, he's a very reserved person. And at the time, our project was meant to be confidential, to be kept under wrap until the time of finish to write the biography. But then there were ethical issues, because really among them is that it's unfair to write about a person who is not aware that you are writing about them, and so on. And at some point, I think within a year of, you know, our conversation and preliminary work, we decided that we should come out to the open, and uh, Bishop Duncan Zoke approached uh, the Archbishop to find out if uh, we could continue with this project. I think that he must have realized that we had gone some way, and uh, saying no to us might have uh, shattered us. And by the grace of God, he said yes. And we're quite jubilant to continue, but on my part, and also on Father Duncan's part, or Bishop Duncan's part, we're rather ambitious about the pace at which we produce this book. We thought that would be done about a year ago. But then we realized that, no, it's not possible. It's better to produce what would not be ashamed of at the end of the day. Rather than hurry, let us take our time and write this book. And I must say that it's quite a challenge. The title, Call to Serve, is obviously his uh, episcopal motto. And then the subtitle is A Biography of Archbishop Butiklachali. I must say now, even as I write, I still approach the subject with trepidation, and I pray, I pray time and again, that God should give me the sharpness, the wisdom, and the right angle to do justice to this life. You know, I hesitate to talk about it, but now that we're talking about it, I thought maybe it would be better or advisable to talk about it closer to the end when you know that it's wrapped between two covers. But then, on the other hand, paradoxically, this opportunity 
will inspire me not to waver and falter until I reach the finishing line. Oh, most certainly. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you, and I'm laughing all the way. I'm thinking, <laughs> you guys were very naughty. <laughs> it was absolutely naughty, yes. It was, I remember the day uh, Bishop Duncan was going to tell uh, the Archbishop, he said to me, oh, well, I'm just going to tell him, and if I have really used a to expression, if I've thrown uh, a handful of dust into <laughs> the authorities' eyes, so be it, you know, I'm ready to take the punishment. And I thought, rather you, not me. Yeah, you yeah. Know. No, you guys were very naughty, but at the same time, very fortunate. And uh, I think it's about time. We all think it's about time that we get to read about His Grace Archbishop Buditlakhali. I mean, the man has done so much, not just for the church, but for South Africa as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, he started all the way back in the apartheid time, the, the work he has done not only in Orlando but also at Regina Mundi, you know, all his, uh, his works in, for, for humanity, if one can absolutely. put it that way. Absolutely, absolutely. And he's not a man of the limelight, you know. Exactly. He's quiet, he wants to be in the background and all that. And there are other people, I say this with due respect, there are other people who are in the limelight and so on, but sometimes I feel that he is one of those who really need to be considered very seriously, as you said, in terms of his contribution to the struggle within and outside the church. And my prayer, and I have to say it again, and I ask your listeners on Radio Veritas to please pray that at the end of it, we do justice to the man. I pray and I pray. We pray with you as well. And uh, I'm quite sure that you'll do more than justice to the man. I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest leaders that the Catholic Church has here in South Africa and in Africa as a whole. So it will be great to read this book. And speaking of the book, when can we expect the book to come out? Now we're putting pressure on you. Uh, yes, hey? I know you are, you're really putting pressure. And I would... Uh... I have to put my head on the block, but with this grant that I've received from ANFASA, the Academic and Nonfiction Authors Association, they'll be keeping a tap on me and other grant recipients by June. They want a report, and by the end of the year, they want to see a book between covers. So uh, I don't think I can go beyond the end of this year. And God willing, it will be quite fortunate because the Archbishop's birthday is in December. So uh, I hope that come that day we'll have a book that will be able to show to the world. Beautiful stuff. And just to show that you're doing such great work, you're writing this book and you have a grant to write the book, to produce the book. I started off without a grant. And then as we were going along, I applied because Anfasa gives grants every year to... Uh, authors to write books, but then you have to submit a convincing proposal because there's a panel that uh, looks at, uh, adjudicates the proposals and competition is quite stiff. There are many and very few are chosen. So I was fortunate to be among those who were chosen because the adjudicator, adjudicator saw a worthwhile project and perhaps the way in which I uh, wrote the proposal, they were convinced that it's a book that will come to fruition. And is this your first time to get such a grant from AUSA? Yes, after more than 20 books, it is the first time. It is the very first time that I get a grant. And yes, 
I have, as already gone somewhere into it, the grant would be spent on maybe, you know, printing photos that would be used in the book, uh, paying people who would be helping me to transcribe uh, interviews. I've had short interviews here and there. But most of the work has been done, and part of it will also go into paying for typesetting of the book and the cover design. But before the grant was issued, about a month or two ago, Mm -hmm. I was just going without any grant. Yeah, yeah. That goes to show you what happens when we do God's work, hey? Absolutely. As they say, God works in mysterious ways. Here we are. And my thanks goes there to Professor Marke for talking to us about his latest book called To Serve, an Episcopal Biography of Archbishop Butit Lakhali. Now, following that chat with Professor Marke, I thought it would only be fair to find out from the man himself what he thought of the idea of a book about his life. So I called the Archbishop. Now that you know about the book, are you excited about this? How do you feel about it? Because we often say... We should be honoring our heroes while they're still alive. Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I think so. I think it's a good idea. Now, about me and the book, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I think it's, it's an interesting project. We'll see what comes out of it. Um, yes, I, I, I think it's a good idea. Nothing more than that. Now, according to Professor Make, is that um, this book looks a lot at your life as a young priest, at your life as an activist during the apartheid regime. How do you feel about this part of your life being exposed in a book? Or I mean, you, we often don't read much about you. We don't, I've never came across a book that was written about you and the works that you have done both in the church and outside the church. Now, this book looks at that. How does that make you feel? I I don't know. I think it should be interesting to look back and see what one has been involved in over the years. And so it should come out as an interesting uh, reflection on one's activities. And, um, yes, hopefully be able to share that with other people. That's the advantage of a book is that you can always share that with other people without... We don't always have the opportunity to sit down and recount our history, so perhaps through a, a piece of writing it might be possible to share that with, with others who, who might be curious about one's past, and therefore a book will enable us to do that. Now, seeing that the book is not yet completed, what aspects of your life would you prefer to see being highlighted in this book? If you could make that choice. I, 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 I don't know. This is taking me by surprise. Uh, what aspects of my life would I like to be highlighted? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, it's up to them to see what episodes in one's life are of interest. Uh, I... I think you've caught me unawares, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find out what is it that one would like to highlight. You know, some time back, somebody in Australia had asked me to write a book about my life. Well, yes, write something about my life, and I wasn't sure exactly what he had in mind. Um, 
So I didn't really do anything about that. In kind of an autobiographical note, I didn't do anything about it. But uh, but probably I recognize that there's a value in sharing about one's life, about one's things that are interesting, things that one has experienced. Um, you should have asked me to put on paper. You took me by surprise. You should have asked me to put on paper what things do I think have been interesting in my life. Probably I would have been more useful than I am now. Yes. Well, the truth is... You probably is... need to do this interview again. You probably need to do this interview again. Um, the truth is, Your Grace, is that even the book took you by surprise. You were not aware of yes. these books. Yes, yes. So that's why I'm a little... Struggling for words, struggling to 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 express myself. Um, normally, I'm talkative enough to know things, but when you ask about myself, I think I find myself a little bit dumb. But I think that's the whole reason why Bishop Duncan, at a time, approached Professor Marke and said, let's just start this quietly. And when we are almost there, we can let him know. Because I think most of us know that when it comes to you, if we are to approach you and say, listen, we would love to do this, how do you feel about it? You start dodging all of us, isn't it? Yeah, I say, no, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's exactly why I also took you by surprise. But now, speaking about the book, I, I, I must say I love the title. It goes hand in hand with you, called To Serve. It's a beautiful title, don't you think? Yes. I, I probably it summarizes our, our ministry in a sense that one has to be constantly be reminded or remind oneself that we are here to serve. When you, once you become a priest, it should be actually everybody. But particularly when you, as a priest, you claim to be in service of the Church of Christ, and therefore we need to be reminded constantly that we, we should try and see our positions of responsibility as positions that are there to to serve other people, to put others first, to listen to them. You may not be able to solve the problems that always come across oneself, but at least you can be listening and sympathetic and where you can be able to solve a problem, do that. Uh, but you should always be in a spirit of service to others and 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 to forget oneself because at times you, in this position, at times you, you tend to think that you are the boss, whereas you are supposed to be the servant. And so, so the title of service, of serving others, uh, should serve or serves, I think, I hope, as a reminder of, of, um, of the virtue of humility, if you wish, and to be constantly aware of that so that, so that our own pride doesn't get in the way of what we offer others.
And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to Tuesday's edition of Catholic Viewer Program, produced and presented by Sheila Pirch for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, Sheila at radioveritas.co.za. Thank you once again for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirch.